I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Hi, folks. Having a good day today. Let me first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must know that I'm not a doctor psychiatrist. If you're starting to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician. At least we have some of my experiences. I also on the right to the intro natural that are found on ytmp3.com. I also have a mission statement I interview with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think are disabilities. People with spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or abilities want to be pitied. There's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some paid for the following. There are two new sponsors we have for the Summerfest. They are Green County General Hospital and Chocolate Moose. We appreciate the donation and the ice, guys. We must give IU Credit Union a shout. We provide a variety of financial services, including mortgages, businesses, and individual loan investments, and saving items, checking accounts, debit and credit cards, and more. Our digital banking services enable members to handle their financial affairs anywhere they are through our safe, helpful, and user-friendly mobile and web-based solutions. You are eight full-service offices in Indiana, we deliver on-site financial services to customers throughout the city of Bloomington, Gary, Greenwood, and the surrounding areas. Over 15 surcharge free ATMs are accessible in Indiana, offering additional monetary possibilities. Insania Cookies is a well-known bakery chain that provides late-night shopping, and some of its shops offer ice cream. As they develop a network of insomniacs, they keep warming the after-parties for the midnight owls and handing out tasty treats to the daydreamers. You're going to get a sugar rush just eating their cookies, so be sure to grab one. Finally, Smokeworks is providing breakfast burritos to the ARAR Poker Run. We must consider ARAR's longtime ally. This isn't your typical barbecue joint. They offer ribs, brisket, chicken, sausage, and homemade southern sides in addition to the barbecue. People will believe that they are genuinely enjoying the state of Tennessee when they do. And there are some people i like to thank. The first is not a thank you, but an announcement. As of right now, we have an official Bluetooth speaker. It can be all yours if you choose to come to the ARAR Summerfest and win the raffle. Do not forget we have an ARAR motorcycle ride on that same day. It is not too late to register. Also, on 4th of July, my family and I celebrated America's birthday with food and fireworks. Happy birthday, America. I love it here. Two weeks ago, I followed up with one of my connections, Maury Zelkovic. He was the one who created the Maury method. The experience is significantly softer for the both the mental and physical systems thanks to the Maury method's special methodology of delivery and array of sensations to the mind and brain. The advantages of brain beats are more naturally incorporated with any additional knowledge like affirmations or meditations. Combining the Mori method tracks in a way that balances technology, science, and sound results in the greatest impact. They also adhere strictly to rigorous scientific research. We do have a collaboration agreement with them, but you will have to stay tuned for more information. I did a clubhouse room. This room was a win on LinkedIn since we are attempting to find out more about LinkedIn. This was a fantastic group. I found some relationships. And since the last episode, I appeared on two podcasts. I was on the Vision Pros podcast with Jackson Colomay and the Radio Free podcast with Sean Burkhead. What great podcasts, everyone. I have one of my business associates with me and the connection that I'm referring to is Armando Bernal. Armando Bernal is a neurodivergent board-certified behavior analysis who supports patients between the ages of 2 and 18 years old. In addition, Armando provides autistic consolation to parents and therapist consolation, speaking engagements for companies across the nation, and supervision and mentorship to other BCBAs and therapists. Armando has also participated in several collaborations with Vanderbilt University and the Sunny Empire State University meant to further support self-advocacy and independence for individuals with autism. Armando is also the founder of the Autism International Consulting, PLLC, a self-advocacy center organization that provides in-home ABA and international consolation. They're also distributors of the podcast, A Different Path. He hopes to spread awareness and acceptance of autism by interviewing and sharing the stories of other individuals with autism. Help me welcome Armando to the show. Armando, how are we doing, buddy? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me today. Of course, man. So my first question to you is, since you're neurodivergent, what does having autism mean to you? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. My neurodivergency has really helped shape my career as well as just my overall general self. Being neurodivergent is just a part of me. It's definitely not all of me. It's, it's really given me a lot of great opportunities to meet amazing people. It's gotten us to be connected. It's gotten me to even have the courage to start my own company that I work with my sister on, together with my family support as well the support of many others. It's been a wonderful opportunity to be here today and celebrate my own neurodivergency with you. So thank you for having me. It's not just all you, but we're on the same mission, I think. I mean, just to change the stigma of autism, to get rid of this irrelevant view that we can't do anything. Bogus. 
You're right. It's a lot of times the families that I work with in my own company, they come to me and think that autism is a cancer or that their child's life is going to be over before they know it. And that's just not true. It's just beginning. And with the support of the families, a lot can be accomplished. On the same point, though, I have to understand the parents a little bit because they're going to miss some opportunities. You probably have missed some opportunities. I missed some opportunities. One example I missed on an opportunity is I have never, Armando, been able to make a breakfast. I can make eggs. I can do eggs. Yeah. But like this, yeah. it's a gravy. But I'm yeah. writing a podcast. That's something that's really interesting. There's a lot of things that I miss as growing up as a child that I'm starting to attempt to learn. I just learned how to ride a bike last year. I just put my mind to it. That took a couple of weeks for me to figure out, but that was something. And with my company and the ABA, the Applied Behavior Analysis Therapy we provide, uh, cooking is a big deal. I love cooking. I've started to get into baking. And so what I try to do is really provide those kind of meals to the kids that I'm working with. And hopefully they get to take that with them and learn how to make a pizza or two or a couple of hamburgers to celebrate with their families. Have you missed any experiences as a child that you can't take back? For example, I can think of one like going to high school prom. I can't take that back. I think a lot of times, and I mean, I still struggle with this today, is my social ability. It's a real struggle for me to make small talk. It's a real struggle for me to make a lot of friendships. There's a lot of people in middle school, high school, you know, elementary even, that I look back on and I'm like, man, I wish I had had the functionality, the ability, the courage even to step up and maybe talk to certain people. I couldn't because I didn't know exactly how to speak to those around me and not be considered the weird kid, quote unquote, right? It's, it's something that I try to give the other kids that I work with now the chance to reach those goals. What were your initial thoughts when you learned that you had autism at 10 or 12 years old? Because that's what, through research, you said it was 10 or 12 you couldn't remember. It's difficult for me because I talk with parents now through advocacy that I think that 10 or 12 is not too late, if you will, but just it makes it harder. The older you get, and the more you then start to realize that you have this diagnosis, the harder it can be accept because you are living your life and knowing that something is maybe just a bit off with you and you're not quite sure what that could possibly be. It was hard for me to just know it at 10 years old when I wish I would have known it earlier. So I really try to recommend to parents, try and talk with your children as early as you can or as early as you think you should and really try to break it down so a child is able to understand it themselves instead of just blatantly telling them, hey, you have autism and this is the medical definition of what it means. Just like you asked me when we first started the podcast, what does it mean to me? to be neurodivergent, right? And hopefully giving these kids that buy-in to learn more about themselves is the path that we need to take in order to become more accepting. You're talking about the older you get, the more they don't know. I know I shouldn't say I feel bad because I don't feel bad if you're on the spectrum. You, I don't, but I feel bad with the not knowing part. I mean, yeah. at 10 or 12 years old, I'm mistaking about you at seven, being like, what am I doing wrong here? I've been to a couple of your presentations, and they're absolutely incredible presentations. But you mentioned how you've had difficulty making friends, or you've had bullies in the past. Part of that comes from just not knowing how to react to certain people or know how to currently have interactions appropriately in one way or another, right? And it's the same thing with me, is that I had a lot of situations in my life where I was like, quote unquote, again, that weird kid that nobody wanted to be around. And through my own connections, through my own interviews, as you mentioned, I do a podcast. I met a 65-year-old that was just barely diagnosed at his 65th birthday, that he had just gotten that information. And he explained to me that he went his entire life being a pariah, being somebody that nobody wanted to talk to. And if only he had this information previously, maybe his life could have been different. It was just a different time. And that's what I try to tell the parents I work with is that, look, 60s, 70s, 80s, there wasn't a lot of information about autism. When I grew up in the 90s, early 2000s, and even, you know, when you were growing up as well, Sam, there wasn't as much information as there is now. There wasn't as much being shared amongst social media or the internet about autism or different kinds of signs or diagnoses. So people were really just trying to do their best. Of course, there needed to be more and more done as each decade passed and there still needs to be. But it's because of people like you and even myself and my company that we're really looking out for those with autism. And that's what really matters. Oh yeah, and that's something right there. Autism Advocates is key to growing the autism universe. Now, since you're a neurodivergent, think of kind of an analogy form. And if you don't think it wants totally chill, but how do you think a brain with autism operates? In my opinion, you're just looking at 
the world maybe a little differently. In this day and age, people are becoming more and more accepting of these changes in mindsets or these changes in belief systems, which has just been absolutely wonderful to see this more acceptance of autism rather than it just being a typical awareness of autism. I don't understand things that are figurative or don't understand things that are intensive or things that I haven't experienced myself. And that's happened with actually when I speak with my wife about it, she may explain certain situations that, have, that she's experienced that I've never experienced in my life. And I just grow a blank. I have no idea how to relate to you. I have no idea how to compare this to anything I've had in the past. In my opinion, it's about experiences. And if you haven't experienced it yourself, it's a lot more difficult. Things may be taken a lot more literal. My wife has had a bit of humor that sometimes I don't understand, and it's because I haven't experienced that in my past, and so I take things a little bit more literal than I should probably. Mine really comes with stuff that I don't know. I mean, one example is religion. I know I don't briefly talk about it on here, but if you talk about me with Christianity or try to preach me something in the Bible, look, I respect the fact that you're a Christian or anyone is. I'm not trying to grade it, but I just can't contribute to the conversation because I don't know what it means. I would love to learn about it a little bit. I'm delighted to, but I'm not going to go to church. And that's part of it with myself, right? Is that if I don't understand something, number one, I'll say, I don't understand. And I'll just be very black and white about it. I don't understand. I can't relate to this. I can't contribute, as you had said. But a lot of times I'll also add into the conversation, educate me. Because I'm not sure what is happening right now. I'm not sure how I can relate to this. Please help me understand this. And being able to communicate that kind of need has been very helpful for me. But again, I'm one person. What I do may not work necessarily for others. And that's very important to understand that it's worth a, a try to give opportunities to people. But it, the solution that may work for you may not work for everybody else as well. Now, what is the most rewarding and the most difficult thing about having autism? I think for me, because of my company and because I work specifically with individuals with autism in a variety of ages, I found two things that one, I can relate a lot better than I, I think other neurotypical people may relate to them too. I have a chance to be an advocate for those that may not necessarily have a voice to provide their wants and needs. And I'm speaking more non-speaking individuals or those that have difficult having sentences put to the ideas in their brain. So I think that's very significant for me. And I've been very thankful and fortunate to have that opportunity. A challenge for myself is still, I have difficulty speaking. I have difficulty providing my wants and needs, or I have difficulty understanding or empathizing at times when things seem a lot more clear and obvious in a black and white kind of perspective. I definitely am trying to practice and, and understand more. All these labels are real, and I think it needs to be a part of us. I mean, we're on the autism spectrum, but it's not who we are totally. You're autism, but you know what else you are? Therapist. A yes. baker now. <laughs> so there's yeah, more to you than just autism. That's what I tell my patients and my therapists is that, look, autism is just a part of somebody. It's not their whole being. It's just something that makes just a small piece of them. There's so many other pieces of that person that we have to relate to and understand and, and accept and, and love, honestly. Yeah, your name is not Autism Bernal. Although yeah. it would be a cool one. Let me put it that way. It should be your middle name instead. Armando <laughs> Autism Bernal. What advice would you give to someone who just learned they had autism? For those that have just learned about autism, there's just a whole world out there. Find those that will support you through your own diagnosis. Those that will love you no matter what. Those that will provide guidance for you. And that could be your family. That could be guardians. That could be friends. For me, it was friends and family. And now my wife has joined that and her family has joined that. But it's also being comfortable in your own skin, not feeling like you have to hide who you are just to be successful. There's a very complicated topic that's currently going on called masking. That is where people will put on their own social appropriate face just to interact with others around them. But what is very significant is for those that have just been diagnosed understand that it's okay to hand flap. It's okay to not make eye contact and be yourself. You were talking about masking. Can you tell us what that is? The masking idea is that you're able to put on some kind of socially appropriate face in front of others. So that way there's no kind of judgment, no real inept quality, if you will, toward it, right? So for instance, if I was to hand flap in public, I may be looked down upon. And so in order to try and save face, if you will, I'll try and just Keep that to myself. Understand that there's a time and place to accomplish these things that I want to do. But the downside of this, right, may sound good at first, is that it can cause it to be a very exhausting process and something that will really take a toll on me later in that evening, later in that day. Probably thinking when you would go out and about, don't flap, don't flap, don't flap. 
and it was exhausting. But when yes. you got home, you're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I can flap. My wife jokingly says that I love when you flap because that's how I know I got you a good Christmas gift or I got you a good birthday gift. And that's been a running joke for me and my wife. To me, that's just so excited. Not really a stem at all, to be honest with you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's the same as doing the arm pump in the air. <laughs> now, you said a lot. You've been in situations that some didn't match the same situation you were in. We said that before, but why don't you tell us one in particular? That was a lot harder because, again, I didn't have a lot of experience. I gathered it as I've gotten older and it's become a lot more accessible. Something I tell a lot of the audiences that I do speaking engagements for and business consultations is that what you see now and what you hear now for your podcast listeners is not what 5, 10, 15 years ago, I was uh, very aggressive. Hand flapping was more uh, immediate, and I had self-interest behavior. I would bite between my index finger and my thumb a lot of the times out of frustration. As a child, one of the most difficult things was social norms and social acceptance, being able to make friends. That was very hard for me. But over time, I started to observe and realize things that were appropriate to say, things that were not appropriate to say, what got a laugh, what didn't get a laugh, things like that, that allowed me to eventually make some more friends as I got older. But again, it was very progressive. There was very little friends in elementary and more and more friends as I got older in middle school, high school, and college. That was beneficial at that point. And now growing up, I still say some of the things is conversations honestly sometimes they don't know when to stop a conversation when is it okay when is it appropriate unless there's like certain things where people are saying well this was great i'm glad to see you or oh this was so great we should definitely do it again those kind of things resonate with me and i understand but ending a conversation is very awkward for me so it's very helpful when somebody does it for me and i know okay this is when i need to end this so i don't be a bore or, or cause frustration in somebody else Honestly, the biggest trick is I've learned this, and this is for you too and for me. Don't yeah. end the conversation. Let them. It works all the time. I love that. Just keep going and adding all the conversation. Eventually, somebody's going to say, oh, look at the time. I got to go. That'll be helpful. And I never find it to be disingenuous. I think it's enjoyable to have conversation. I love meeting new people. I love interacting with my parents and my patients. It can be rather difficult for me to understand how far is too far in a conversation as I may have with someone. I feel like, no offense to the older generation, but old people love to talk. Like, <laughs> 65 or older. And hey, I'm cool with that. I like talking to that generation. They're fun. They're comical, like their own sense of humor. But it's a little hard for me in that generation because... They just like eon, eon, eon. You could talk to them for five hours. It's like, all right, <laughs> is it time to stop? Or uh, are they cool with me talking here? You said you did find me. I think you found me actually because I, I was on your show. How'd you yep. find me again? I think it was just a matter of me searching. I mean, finding different terms, autism or podcast. Eventually it came into me, I think seeing you guys advertise at one point on social media that you had a podcast. And I just wanted to connect with you because it was about autism or it was about that you had autism autism and it's just stemmed from there and now we've gone from just being acquaintances on Facebook to doing an interview with you uh, as well for my podcast and then meeting finally in person a couple of weeks ago that was so fun meeting you in Florida uh, what are the odds of doing that anyway one in 700 I don't know the odds yeah. on that one but it was fun and it was a nice place too me I had like really like tropical and I was like in heaven because that's what I like to travel in I'm a Southern boy, country at heart. So you can imagine me with the heat as paradise. Oh my gosh, absolutely. No, shout out to the Neurodiverse Learning Retreat with Tamar Tellis. That, that was an incredible experience. Uh, I got to snorkel while I was over there and at the same time getting to share wonderful things that people with autism are able to do. So that was such a joy. Now I'm curious about this collaborative work you did with the Vanderbilt University and Sunny Empire State University. So what collaborative work with the Vanderbilt University and Sunny Empire State University did you do? So I'm a part of a program with the acronym AUCD. And so what they focus on is ABA reform. So ABA, again, is that applied behavior analysis that we are used for primarily children with autism, but can be used for a wide variety of individuals. But what has been difficult in our field is that there has been a level of controversy in the past. As we've grown in the science, there's been more and more reform, more and more acceptance of listening to those with autism, someone like myself, someone like you, Sam, really guide how this science grows and how this science can support those with autism of all ages. So I'm a part of this organization. I'm a part of these collaborations with these universities to really try and provide the next generation of behavior analysts to really consider the compassion and trauma-informed approaches that are necessary to see children succeed. And I like the fact that you did start this business on your own, which we'll get into. 
You're also a BCBA therapist. So how are BCBA and ABA different and similar? So board certified behavior analyst is what BCBA stands for. We have to go into college, should we get a master's, along with 2,000 hours of internship. And then we pass a national board exam. And once we pass that exam, we're able to practice in all the 50 states in order to support those with autism. Now, applied behavior analysis is simply the science that we practice under. It's behavioral science and how we better support individuals with autism. Again, I primarily focus on two to 18 years old, but there's a wide variety of people that work with animals, that work with forensic science, that work with psychologists, that work with geriatrics. This kind of field has its hand in multiple areas and it's just up to that individual that works in this field to determine a specialty that they would like to work in they work with forensic scientists how's that possible because i thought forensic scientists were just they work with the forensic psychology unit and so if they wanted to you could work with catching serial killers catching different kinds of criminals and and understanding the behavior that goes behind those kind of actions to really better support the knowledge we have on protecting other individuals in the nation and protecting mental health too if you think about it, because i think our mental health system um, where I am in at least and sometimes I said this on the last episode for the listeners C239 you've been tricked but a lot of people mental health issues are thrown in a cubicle and sometimes they need to be there but they should not be there for 24 hours a day I think okay here's the deal you got bipolar you killed someone Okay, go to jail, but you also need to go see a counselor for that. There's a lot that we don't know about mental health so far. And that's one area that we're trying to help support within applied behavior analysis is really trying to have people understand what goes into the idea of supporting individuals with autism, as well as how to really support their family members and those friends that are just wanting to see their child succeed. And so we do encapsulate our science and our field with a lot of parent training to better support and answer any questions that parents may have about their child. Have you had clients with traumatic experiences? So for example, okay, they got abandoned as a baby, but they were adopted, but they still have PTSD from the abandonment. And it's hard, right? Because a lot of these things that may cause traumatic episodes is more internal in nature. It's more psychological. What we do a lot of the times is that we're very big on collaboration in my field. So we'll work with speech therapists, we'll work with psychiatrists, psychologists, occupational therapists in order to provide a more well-rounded establishment and Practice. Through the support of these professionals, these amazing professionals, we're able to really accomplish a lot with seeing the success and the independence of that child. You also have clients that stay there every day and that's their schooling. Because the reason why I'm asking is I know someone who school was not the best for him just mm -hmm. because of aggression issues. He goes to an autism therapy service and that's his school. My question is, do you have clients like that? Yes and no in response to your question. We don't have anyone that stays the night, like 24 hours. There are certain hospitals and specialties for that. That's not my area of expertise. What we do have though, at least I'm from Texas and in the state of Texas, ABA is considered medically necessary treatment. And so what that means is that an individual can either go to school or they can go to ABA. It's a lot like going to the doctor for any kind of cancer medication, cancer appointment. So it's all excused. This child may be able to go to school full-time. They may be able to go to ABA full-time, or they may do a combination of both where they go to school part-time and then ABA part-time. That's really cool. I didn't even think of that. That could have worked for me probably, but I don't know if I would have worked well because like I said, I'm not the best working with people surprisingly, but hey, I, I may have been able to use it. You never know. We get a lot of those kind of situations where it's not just for kids with high highly aggressive behavior or highly problem behavior. It's also for kids that just need a little help with social skills. The science that I practice now, I use on myself. What do you do to help children and parents who are on the autism spectrum? Now, I know you do consolations and you tell them a lot of information. That's awesome. But what do you do? What do you show them? With show and tell, yeah. you tell, but what do you show? Yeah. <laughs> so what we show is a lot of opportunities that can be given to individuals with autism. I'll give an example of my older kiddos is that this kind of science, this kind of therapy is not meant to be used for years and years and years. It is meant to provide enough support that a child or an adult, whoever it is, can reach a level of independence they didn't have before. So my 15, 17 year olds, 18 year olds, yes, we are working with them on social skills, but we're also trying to work with them on how do you get a job? So it's shown 
by their ability to get a job, go into schools, go into other kinds of job opportunities where we're also able to collaborate with their manager and provide support to them in the job site. In addition, my littles, we also provide them enough support where they can then go back into school. I jokingly tell my parents that I'm trying to work myself out of a job. I don't want to be with you guys forever. I just want to be with you long enough where you have the support and the knowledge that you need in order to decrease any kind of problem behaviors your child may show in the future. If you can help them get through it, that's enough right there. I think that shows a good day in work is, okay, they stop punching walls. How do you help therapists during therapist consultation? So I do a lot of consultations for sure. With my therapists, it's having them understand that they are making a difference each and every day that they are providing this therapy. That this isn't something that you can really do halfway or part of the way. It's because of this therapist that they're able to be potty trained. That they're able to eat certain foods that provide them with a pretty solid diet instead of just eating chips and candy all day long. Being able to live on something that is very nutritious. It's because of the therapist that parents feel that their child has a chance at a quote-unquote normal life at the chance of becoming independent but at the same time have them understand that it's because of their diligence and their hard work that a child is able to be successful later on i did the same thing actually with eating all foods like junkie except it wasn't chipped in candy it was hot dogs and mac and cheese but that proves something right there the meat boy right here has always been a meat person from the get-go because hot dog is meat See, sam still loves his meat to this day so <laughs> i bet from texas you can relate <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're big on barbecue over here. No, we absolutely will go crazy for that kind of stuff. (laughs) So since you are neurodivergent and you are a therapist, which believe it or not, this is the first time I've had a neurodivergent therapist on. But does being a neurodivergent therapist help you or does it harm you when you're doing these consolations or a little bit of both? I think it is a little bit of both. It helps me because I can understand the individuals that I'm working with. It helps me better understand how to advocate those patients that I'm working with. In of itself as well, I've also been harmed by it because the fact that I'm providing this kind of science has had such a negative stereotype attached to it that it makes it sometimes difficult for the therapists they collaborate with it understand that I'm there to help them just as much as I hope that they would help me in my field and the kids I work. When that barrier is broken and we're able to work together, what we see is just an all-around successful kid that maybe some people didn't believe could be successful. And it's because of the support of others that we've been able to achieve such great things. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not saying ABA sucks. I'm going to never say that. The way I know ABA is 15 years ago, but I am open to watching it at a later time to this day because you are probably right with ABA being different from 15 years ago. It's a part of that, right? Where my company specifically, Autism International Consulting, we will have an open door policy in the sense that anybody is welcome to come and visit, come and observe our therapy because we believe what we're doing is 100% right. And what we have is also successful children, happy children getting to be themselves, but also still learning without realizing. I came from a therapy session today where the child was able to play ping pong and pool, but still learn his mom's phone number, still be able to learn how to interact with strangers appropriately. We were able to get him to get over a fear that his house was going to burn down when he was trying to make hot dogs, something that I now know you can relate to. He was able to make hot dogs for himself, which is really wonderful. But it's this kind of therapy that we're able to provide that sense of independence, but also that sense of fun. And it's something I try and stress to my therapist as well. It's not just about the patients having fun. It's also you, the therapist, having fun because those kids can pick up on that. And if you're not enjoying your time with them, they're going to realize that. So it's very significant to me to value the opinion of my therapist, value the opinion of the patient, especially if they are are functional enough or able to speak enough to provide that kind of opinion, then I'll take that well into consideration because they need to be in charge of their own therapy. And that's how we differ from 15 years ago, because we're child led. And we're just trying to do what's best for the child at the same time of considering what they want to do in the first place. Does your company ever take them to their environment? So for example, maybe, okay, he likes to play, but you take him to his environment maybe okay you can't take him to a bar clearly because you have to be 21 yeah what about like a man cave we do that so my company specifically we do a lot of what's called community events and so for instance we have another child that really enjoys bowling he's in a league but he has a hard time with social opportunities to talk with other people while he's bowling to make friends while he's bowling but it's one of his favorite things to do friday we're setting up a couple of meetings with some of the other bowlers that he enjoys being around he just doesn't talk to and we're going to better support the social aspect while also being able to play bowling. So again, there's a number of things you can do in order to provide that kind of naturalistic support. It's just a matter of putting them in that environment to give them the opportunity to do so. I have a friend that's really good at bowling too. And believe it or not, he's actually so good. He's placed third 
of all of Indiana in the state Special Olympics. That is really cool. That like third place. I would love the connection. I'm sure the patient that I'm thinking of would love to get any kind of hints or advice he could get from his bowling. He said he bowls right now like a 200 or 250, and he was just over the moon about that. Oh, he gets tire scores. Like every time I'm watching him, he's strike, boom, strike, boom. I'm up there so looking cool. at his score. I'm like, how are you doing this? I get gutter balls every time I go bowling. That's so awesome. That is success though right there. Sure, yeah. he might live with his parents, but he can bowl and win medals. Now, folks, we right back right here and add from the REMC. So let's get to it. REMC UDWI provides families with electricity and quality, efficient service while maintaining a financially healthy and rate competitive position in the industry through teamwork, mutual respect, and an ongoing commitment to their members. As a cooperative, they are owned and operated by their members. That means that the employees at REMC are there to serve their customers with a history of dedication and longevity. They take great pride in providing people with the very best customer service. The people working at REMC are the world's most friendliest staff, and you will be comfortable when you talk to them. There's no reason you should not explore REMC UDWI today. All right, folks, and yes, and if you go to do the electric slide. So now, Armando, I want to talk to you about your speaking engagements a little more. So can you tell me some of the speaking engagements that you've done? Minus the Tamira, because I know about that one. But is there any I don't know about? Outside of a uh, visit with Tamara and the Neurodiverse Learning Retreat, as I said, I do speaking engagements for different universities. So University of Washington, I have an ongoing twice annual speaking engagement. I was invited to Missouri to be a keynote speaker on uh, the topic of masking for a group of teachers in Missouri. And then I'll be headed to South Carolina in early August, again, to speak about special education and autism to a group. There's a variety of different aspects and conferences that I try to be a part of. It's just a matter of getting my name out there and letting people know that I'm here to support them in any way possible. So when you are speaking, what's the one thing that you hope people leave with after your speech? If there is one thing that I would like people to leave with, is to understand that a child or an adult with autism is so capable of so many amazing and great things, but also that there is a large amount of people, just like you and me, Sam, that are doing amazing work while also having the diagnosis of autism. And it's so significant to raise them up. It's so significant to really bring awareness for them as well. Yes, and that's the reason why I do it. Your events is because of bringing the acceptance. I do it because I want to bring acceptance. And I won't lie, it's a little fun, but that's not the main reason. The main yeah. reason is it's to show a population that gets ignored for the most ridiculous reasons alive. It's going to be different in a lot of different states, right? But something that is very familiar to me is the idea that someone with autism may be passed up for a job opportunity or for a college experience because of possible accommodations that they may require. And so it's difficult for those with autism. I think a lot of statistics will show that. It's just really up to you, that manager, that entrepreneur, to give that person a chance and really show them what you can do. Well, I'm going to give some advice, and this is for your clients and for the people out there. This is what's worked for me. Self-employ or use your connections. So the podcast, I done it on my own. You yeah. made your business on your own. We yes. made the opportunity. So that's why yeah. I want to encourage is if no one's giving you the job, take the job. You grab it by the throat and you squeeze it to make it your lemons. I've said this previously in presentations that it was harder for me to work in already established jobs or already established companies because of that whole accommodation issue. And eventually it led me to opening my own company. I do this with my sister who, again, I could not do this without my sister or my family. But because I help make my own position, I mean, my company is doing well. I think it's successful for the sake of the kids that I'm working with. And because of that, I can be my own boss and I can really run this how I want it to be and hopefully run it in such a way that autism and those with autism are at the forefront of everything we try to accomplish. And then my second piece of advice is utilize your connections. So one example is I did a Taekwondo class for a long time. And for the listeners, C129, a black belt's journey. But because of that previous connection, do you know how much work I could do there? Because they would wouldn't care about the autism diagnosis. They'd be like, oh, he has autism? Cool. Okay, you can work now. So I'm thinking, you're trying to help them get jobs, right? And you're trying to help them do the job skills. Why not have them play a small role in your business? Maybe for the day, they're the front desk clerk. You don't want to give them something too extreme where they screw it up and it's done and it's unfixable. But maybe... 
okay, you work for the front office. Oh, they make it up snake. No, this is what you do. So you also done some supervising as a BCBA. So what is the one thing you want to tell other BCBAs as a supervisor? I love that question. It's for a lot of BCBAs, there's some issues that are going on in our field currently where it, it seems that some are too scared to maybe ask some questions about neurodivergency because they're worried about being either ignorant or not being able to fully respect that population. So I really advise a lot of BCBAs, just ask. The worst that somebody can say is, hey, I'm not comfortable with that question. Please don't ask that. But it's so significant for us to be open, transparent, and be willing to support one another. And so I really open the door to any BCBA, any kind of therapist that's seeking advice or support in such a way, any of your listeners to look for me. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. Well, one BCBA question is, do BCBAs and ABAs, are they in the same office or are they separate from each other? So in our field, there are board certified behavior analysts, BCBAs. There's BCABAs, which are board certified assistant behavior analysts. There's registered behavior technicians, which are RBTs and behavior technicians, which are BCBAs. And so the BCBAs are the ones that provide the programming or the targets, the goals that a child has, whereas the RBT or the BT is the one that is providing the opportunities for those targets to be completed. Teamwork makes yes. a dream work. If you're working together and can get that child to success, that's enough right there, I think. Absolutely. Now, two things your company does provide that's a little different from others is at-home ABA therapy and something I never heard of, which I'll get into. But first, I want to know, when did you start doing at-home ABA therapy? We are currently the only autistic clinician-owned ABA company in Houston, Texas. And so that's something that we are very proud of, but also something that we wish more neurodivergent individuals would be a part of as well. So that way, we can be a model for them and, and really support others. So we started this, oh gosh, probably in 2022. And we were able to create an LLC. We were able to really get, it was pretty funny. It was... Uh, myself and my sister doing this, we were terrified that we weren't going to get any kind of patient interested. And now here we are running it a year later, and it's doing so well. I'm very thankful to have this opportunity to do something like this. Can you tell us about one of your clients? You can don't mention his name, but I love at the Neurodiverse Retreat, you stated that he has to bounce on a ball to listen. That's what it's about, right? Is to have the idea that we accommodate or we're able to support those in such a small way that really causes no kind of burden on the other person and still let this person to be as successful as possible. It's about being there for others and it's about showing everything that we can possibly do to really see the success in those that we're serving. So you also do art advocacy. So I never heard of it and I want to learn about it. So tell me what yeah. the heck is art advocacy? So in Texas, maybe this isn't everywhere. I thought it would be, but in Texas, we have something called an individualized education plan. Oh, good. So you guys have that over there in, in your state as well. And art is simply a meeting set up by the principal of a school to determine what is going to happen with the child at the public school system for the following year. So the advocacy aspect is that sometimes parents are in these meetings. There's so much professional jargon being thrown around that the parent doesn't know what is happening and so they just agree to everything. So what we try to provide to parents is this opportunity to have somebody in their corner that will better support them in their time of need. And we've done that throughout the nation as well. So that's something that we try to serve. That's something that we do with my sister. My sister has been a teacher for 18 years, a special education teacher. So that's been something that she's been able to support us with. Oh, well, she knows what she's doing too for 18 years. Were you the inspiration behind her teaching special education or or was I, it something else? I, I'm literally I don't want to brag, but she does say that, yes, I was one of the reasons why she got into special education. But on the flip side, she was the reason why I got into this myself. She thought I would make a difference. And I mean, I guess she was right. Here we are now, some odd years later, and now we have our own company. You lifted each other up. Yes, absolutely. I would not be here if it was not for my sister or my family or my wife. You also have verbal language dyspraxia. I did a little bit of digging in it, but I want to learn from you. When did your parents start seeing the symptoms of verbal language dyspraxia? It was early on. I mean, I was nonverbal at the age of three. And so I used a lot of sounds to get my wants and needs across, but that didn't really work. And so it's still something I struggle with sometimes that I just get stuck in my sentences that I don't know what the word is supposed to happen next. And it gets very frustrating because I know I want to say something. I just don't know exactly what I need to say. I jokingly say that because I also get asked, you know, how did you learn how to talk? How is that possible? And I jokingly say, well, my mother says that she dropped me on my head a couple of times and that's what it, but I don't recommend that to anybody. Full disclaimer, that is not me recommending for you to drop your kid on their head. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to do that. But <laughs> we're in a self-contained life skills program. So when did your parents decide to put you in a self-contained life skills program? 
you did some digging, that is for sure. In Texas, that's the variation we have for special education, but for pre-K kids, or those that would be like daycare kids. So I was in that, and they just, again, the school said that that would be something that could be helpful for me. I don't remember all that much back then. That was quite some time ago, but it's something I was a part of and not something I'm ashamed of. Do you think it was kind of a Temple Grandin shot class? Because let me explain. So for the listeners, C-120 for Pictures from the Ranch by Temple Grand, but she believes in shot class, as you can tell. But there's a good reason. It's a sense of independency. So it kind of sounds like you were in not the shot class, clearly in the construction area, but you were in the home mech area. I guess you could use that analogy. So you also are a valedictorian. So how'd you find out you were a valedictorian? <laughs> it was fun to do that help pay for some of my college. I went to Texas A&M University. So whoop Aggies and Gigum. I was there for my bachelor's as well as my master's. It was a fun time because one of my closest friends that I have, her name is Lucia. And I mean, we were in competition neck and neck throughout our lives. We went to the same elementary, middle school, high school. And so we were competing for valedictorian. She ended up being salutatorian at that time. Did you afterwards go, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, she actually was the one that married my wife and I. She's probably thinking, you got married first and you beat me. <laughs> <laughs> if you give one piece of advice to any valedictorian, autism or not, just any person who wants to be a valedictorian, what would it be? Enjoy college. Have a great time. That helps pay for school, at least it does in Texas. But it's really going to always come back down to the memories that you get and that you have in college. Yeah, I mean, Fall Out Boy says it itself. You probably go back to it sometimes and say, thanks for the memories. Now, you did go into the university with the Special Education Graduate Program. So how would you get into the Texas A&M University Special Education Graduate Program? That's been one of my joys. I have the diploma in the background here for that. I've loved A&M. They had a great program. Wonderful professors. I'm still connected with them. Still connected with some friends that then went on to do the doctoral program. I think what really set up my goal to try and accomplish uh, accomplished certain aspects of my life. I had heard a podcast at one point, I don't remember who said this, but they talking about his graduate time. And he said that the piece of advice he got was to always say yes to anything that comes up during your grad school. And so that's something that I've just carried on with me both from grad school and now into life. Even this interview right here was an opportunity that I did not expect. I'm very fortunate to be a part of this. Uh, and so I said yes. And now here I am. And it's been a really great experience. So you are a podcaster. So when did you start a different path podcast? I heard it was after your wife saying, get a hobby. She said I needed a hobby at the time. I think it was during COVID, if I remember correctly. And I decided to start something like this. It was still part of my job. It was still in the job field if you will, the autism aspect. But it was a fun time. It was a great time. I think everyone started a podcast in 2020. It was something that I'm really proud of. And I'm happy to have shared it with as many parents as I did. Can people still find it somewhere? If you go to my website at www.autismintl.com, all of my episodes are still listed there and they will be until the website ever gets shut down. And I still have some interviews that I've done, including yours, Sam, that I need to edit or I need to just submit already for people to hear that as well. I may get back into that as things slow down a bit with the company as it continues to grow. Now, folks, we'll be right back right here on Ad from the Doug Flutie Jr. Autism Foundation. So let's get to it. At the Doug Flutie Autism Foundation in Massachusetts, people are receiving hope. The organization was established in 1998 by Doug Flutie, former quarterback for Boston College and the NFL, and his wife, Lori, in the memory of their son, Dougie, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. The goal of the Flutie Foundation is to improve the quality of life for those with autism and their families. The biggest action they like to do is give grants and host their annual Stars on the Spectrum golf event. Our goal is to offer chances for physical and social activity outside of work or school, a path for education or employment during the day, and the resources needed to always feel safe, supported, and informed, the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation says. Make sure to visit them on their website, www.flutiefoundation.org. That's www.flutiefoundation.org. Or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even YouTube to see all the stars they have to offer. And you never know, you might be able to meet one of their stars if you are so kind they allow you to do so. Finally, if this was a testimony, this would be my testimony for the Doug Jr. Autism Foundation. All right, folks, turn back. You might meet Doug Flutie there. You never know. Armando, you also were a special education teacher. So what advice would you give to others who are considering going to be a special education teacher? I think that being a special education teacher is one of the most incredible positions. Really, being a teacher in general is an incredible position to be. It's so great to be a special education teacher because you're helping these lives that really need support in so many different kinds of age ranges to the kindergarten to all the way to high school, a little bit further than that, right? 
right? And being a teacher is, or people I truly admire because without the teachers, we really wouldn't be anywhere. And it's through their collaboration and through their support that we've been able to grow and, and know that we're not alone in this that we can help the kids we're serving as well as the kids that may be in the schools that are out there as well. I commend teachers anyway, regardless, because I can never be a teacher. And it's not because of the kids. Believe it or not, I actually have a shockingly surprising effect of me liking kids. I'm surprised I'm good with them, but I am. It's just, I couldn't find the balance of, okay, it's time to be playful and fun because I want to be nice, but I don't want to be too nice because they'll take advantage of you. Also, I figure, okay, hey, zip it. But I also want to be too mean, like zip it, shut up, blah, 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 blah. And there you go. And all I am is not this mean old grouchy bear with the ruler going flat, 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 flat. And that's not me. And you were in speech therapy. So what did speech therapy do for you? It got me to be where I am today. I think with my family support, my speech therapist wouldn't be speaking at this point in time. I think I would be having a much more difficult time with where I'm at. Currently, every therapist that I've had in my life has had some purpose of better supporting me and guiding me to where I am today. And I'm, I'm just incredibly thankful for that. You also were bullied like I was. Are there any bullying stories that have affected you today? Not really. I mean, it was more I was able to learn self-defense at those points in time. And it's just a kid not having full understanding of my own diagnosis. And as an adult now, I can't go back and blame a child in that sense, right? It was a different time. And it's a different situation, right? It's not that I commend it in any way, not in the slightest. It's just a part of my past. There's not really much more to say about that kind of thing. When did you start seeing the bullies were the ones who had the issues? Probably high school. I guess when I saw it happen to other people that were not me and it's then like, hey, like something's got to change. Try to become, talk things out with people and that that was helpful and people understood a little bit more, but that didn't happen unless people were older and understood and more accepting. Now you did start disclosing. So when did you start disclosing? Right after high school, uh, not high school, excuse me, right after college. It just, it became more and more evident that I could do a lot more good than not if I did disclose finally. That's really, I guess, helped get me to where I am today regarding my company, regarding my, my opportunities that I've been given. It's been a real joy. I would never take it back. I wish I would have done it earlier because maybe I could have helped out more people at the time. Now, folks, we'll be right back here on Ad from the Bluebird. So let's get to it. Have you ever wondered what is the most fun thing to do in Bloomington, Indiana? If you do not know, I have the answer for you because it is time to bring your best dance moves to the Bluebird in Bloomington, Indiana. This rock club does not only host live music, but has karaoke nights as well. Please visit the Blue Bird at 216 North Walnut Street, Bloomington, Indiana, 4704. If you have any questions, please contact them at 812-336-398. I repeat, that is 812-336-398. Or leave them an email at their email address, daykubayak1 at gmail.com. That is spelled D-K-U-B-I-A-K-1 at gmail.com. This is the place to be if you want to have a great time. I can promise you that. All right, folks, we're back, and you might see a bluebird there. You never know. So I do want to know more, Armando, about your wife. So you met your wife through a dating app, which I agree when you said something about a dating app on a previous interview. Online is so much better. Because... Oh, you find this? That's hilarious. Oh, I found it through an interview. It's on YouTube. <laughs> but you said it was so much better online because you person, you had to think on your feet. I need time to analyze like you. The online really made things a lot easier for dating since I've never looked back. Uh, it's been obviously an absolute joy. I get to come home to my best friend every night, every day. I get to see her. And it's so cool getting to just be in the middle of the night. Hey, do you want popcorn? Hey, let's get ice cream in the middle of the night. Like, that's amazing. And it's really cool. We're coming up on a year in September. So I'm very happy about that. How has your wife helped you autism and non-autism wise? I think helped me, right? She puts me in situations that maybe I would be typically uncomfortable with and has helped me get through them. Because if I hadn't gone through them, then I wouldn't have been through some things that ended up being a lot of fun. Whether that's a social experience, whether that's some kind of crowd, some kind of issue that I normally would have. And she's been right there with me, which has been really phenomenal and really a joy. Things that she's helped me that have been outside of the autism spectrum is, is probably also facing my fears and also getting to experience things that I typically hadn't before and getting to enjoy the things that she enjoys. She really loves animals. She really loves diseases and epidemiology. Well, I'll tell you this. She's a lot braver than me because don't get me wrong, I like animals. Like if a chicken's got a bad wing, I don't mind trying to save them from the road, but I don't love them. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like I'm a little hesitant. Like, all right, don't pluck my eyes out, whatever you do. I do yeah. love dogs though. Dogs is probably my favorite animal of all time right there. We're dog <laughs> people in this house. <laughs> now we'll just wrap her up here. These are for fun. So what is your paradise meal or favorite food and why is it your favorite? 
And is it barbecue, Texas boy? You know what? It's not. So there's actually, I'm not going to give away the name because I like the quietness of it. But there was a taco truck that still exists today that was five minutes from my house. I have told my wife again and again, this this would be my final meal, is this taco truck with these amazing tacos, not only just for the deliciousness of it, but also the nostalgia of it. And I think about those tacos probably every day because they are just so amazing. You dream about them too? <laughs> every day. They're so Jeez, good. It is, man. Now what's your favorite movie or TV show? And why do you like it? My favorite is Interstellar. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's by Christopher Nolan. The, the plot, long story short, is basically the world. It's in the future. The world's starting to lose its crops. Pollution's taken over. And so Matthew McConaughey has to go out and find a new planet for the world to live on, the population. Spoiler for anyone who hasn't, but it's been out for years. It's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful soundtrack. I see that probably at least once a year. So what has been your favorite vacation that you've ever taken? Why did you enjoy that vacation very much it's gonna be my honeymoon i went to cape town south africa for two weeks we were there as well as a safari my wife loves great white sharks and so we made the honeymoon around that idea of going cage shark diving so we went cage shark diving and that was incredible cape town is without a doubt one of the most beautiful cities i've ever been to and it's also one of the most affordable cities i've ever been to it's something that i look at all the time she also surprised me with pictures that we took in front of a mountain well we're hoping to go to hawaii next year sometime and That's i might awesome. get in a cage with sharks if you have the chance you should it is the most fun that you can have it's also very safe so you don't need to worry about the sharks getting in at all either if a shark's coming near trying to bite my hand he's, he's getting his butt kicked <laughs> <laughs> or he's gonna try and i'll probably lose but he's not gonna leave empty-handed let's put it that way love that that's awesome my final question is are there any good memories that you want to tell our viewers about if you do why do you remember that memory the most so before you answer i'd like to end with a sentimental memory that made you feel good inside and a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing it could be with your clients your wife if you're client, you want to answer it, my friend. I mean, one of my most precious memories is my marriage and my wedding. I was terrified that day. I actually had to relive it. Today, I had a therapist that's getting married soon. And so I talked about it and it was just so cool. And oh my gosh, now I have so many sentimentals that are coming up. My engagement, I, I proposed in the Museum of Science here in Houston. They let me put the ring on a dinosaur bone and was able to surprise her with that. And she was able to take off the ring and put it on. That was really cool. Finally, I guess a shout out to my mother because one of my all time favorite memories was Pokemon Rocks America. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. If you are please message me because I would love to meet more people that know about it. It was this big Pokemon event. That was a one-time thing throughout the nation. It was expensive at the time. I think it, looking back, it was like 50 bucks a ticket or whatever. And that was a lot for my parents because we didn't have a lot of money. They said, no, no, we can't go. We can't go. And my mother said we were going to like the dentist. But in actuality, we had gone to Pokemon Box America. And to this day, this is that is one of the best memories I've ever had in my entire life. I know you asked for one sentimental, but honestly, I had three and they're all so meaningful for me. So thank you for letting me share that. I think that's a good way to end it. So is there anything like to say? Any closing remarks? Anyone is interested in consultation and support services, mentorship, in-home ABA, if you're in Houston, Texas, please reach out and also follow us on Instagram, threads, Facebook. You can find us at, at autismintl or www.autismintl.com. We'd love to hear from you. Just stop by and say hi. Looking forward to it. And thank you so much for having me, Sam. This has meant the world to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course, man. I figure after we got nature, I think we need to hear your story. I think you got a good one and have a great one, my friend. You too. Take care. Thanks for joining for this episode. Please join for another episode coming very soon. I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. Do you